Parents, just a word of caution here before we start the podcast today. Danielle and I talk about Christmas and our Christmas traditions and about Santa. So if you've got little ears around and um, you might want to pop in a pair of earbuds uh, before we, uh, we get to that at about the 30 minute mark here on the podcast today. Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, December 11th, and we looked at the story of Ruth here this morning from the book of Ruth. We we did an overview, a flyover of all four chapters of the book of Ruth this morning. And one of the main, the main, the really the main idea, the main truth that we saw here in the book of Ruth is that God is faithful to us. God is present to us even when life doesn't go to plan, right? He is, he's not, his faithfulness, his presence is not dependent upon the the positiveness of my circumstances, nor nor the direness of my circumstances, right? But he is faithful to us day in and day out, season in and season out. And that's what we see in the story of Ruth. We also saw this morning the story of, or the reality of the power of our normal, regular obedience and how Boaz and Ruth were just being regularly obedient people. And God, God worked uh, extraordinarily through their faithfulness in the scope of human history. And so we're not to discredit or undervalue our obedience, even in the things that we might think are trivial or small. And so um, we see that we see that in in their story here this morning. And um, so I'm joined again in the month of December by my wife, Danielle, here on the podcast. Hi, everyone. Kyle, do you know how many days there are until Christmas? No. Uh, so wait, today's the eleventh. Christmas is on the twenty fifth. So simple math. Seventeen. Well, what? Just kidding. Fifteen. <laughs> Fifteen days till Christmas. No, if today's the eleventh, there's fourteen days. Till Christmas. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> My brain is absolutely fried. Yesterday, uh, yesterday a perfect gift all day. I I realized gift. I realized that uh, we got here what eight thirty in the morning or whatever. Yeah. And we were here like all which the, we weren't was, the earliest people. We were not here. the earliest <laughs> by up. any means. We were not the earliest, but uh, so we got here at eight thirty. And I don't think I stopped talking to people till I left. You know, in that late later that afternoon. Yes. And uh, while the cleanup the cleanup crew was going was going hard after cleanup yesterday. So yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, somewhere around two o'clock, my brain was like, <laughs> "I probably should go home before I say something dumb, <laughs> because I can't, I can't put sentences together anymore. There's so much stimulation, and oh. it was so much fun, though. It was such it was a really blast. Yeah, yeah, such a blast. So amazing to see so many folks that are from our church uh, come together and volunteer to to put this on, and so many people from our community." Just coming and hanging out and inviting friends and being present and just enjoying one another and uh, and getting to hear, you know, the the story of Christmas and getting to yeah. the the consistent prompts that were happening throughout the whole the whole day in each area in each room that that leaned back to the reality of of Jesus and and his birth and that's the whole reason for Christmas and it's this extravagant picture of God's love for us and so. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. So if you uh, if you were volunteering, if you leaned in to help help at the perfect gift, thank you. If you brought somebody to hang out and enjoy the perfect gift, thank you. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was just it was a great day all together. But perfect gift Saturday, preaching to to uh, pre- preaching twice on a Sunday. My brain is just about dead right now, so I don't know if anything Ooh. intelligent is going to come out. That's okay. I'll help get you through it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll carry me here. Yeah. Hmm. That's about it. That's about the story of our marriage. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love how that's you're about, really not the case. I love how you're, you're just about to be like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish it was me oh. carrying you and not me carrying, or you carrying me. <laughs> well, um, so we were in the story of Ruth, Matthew's yeah. genealogy. He names four women, uh, Tamar. We've already looked at Tamar's story. Then Rahab. We looked at her story last week. Now, this week is Ruth's story. Next week we'll be looking at Bathsheba's story, and so in the story of Ruth, we see just we see the tragedy of life. We see the tragedy of life on this side of heaven, on this side of the garden, right? And sit with the reality of sin and brokenness and natural evil and the destruction of our own bad choices, and yet we see this this ever present loyal love of God that is extended towards his people. It's extended towards Naomi. It's extended towards Ruth. It's extended towards Boaz. And powerfully, it's extended through them, right? So, you know, it's God's loving kindness that is extended through Boaz, through Ruth's care for Naomi, and even in Naomi's faithful presence to Ruth and Orpah, right? It's, there's something, there's something that Ruth saw in Naomi, and Naomi is convinced in chapter one. She's convinced in her prayer that God would be love, that would be kind to them. This, the Hebrew word there is chesed. It literally means that God would be loyal. His loyal love would be extended towards them. So, even in the midst of her suffering, Naomi is convinced of God's character, convinced of God's faithfulness, and so there's something Ruth yeah. sees in her. That Ruth is like, you know what? I don't want to go back home. I want to stay with you. And Orpah doesn't do anything wrong, by the way, in going back home, right? She did what was culturally appropriate. She did what her mother-in-law asked her to do. Um, you know, Ruth's action is extro- is is significant. It's remarkable. Um, so so all throughout it, we see we see God's loving kindness, His faithfulness extended through the characters, and how that then contributes to forward faithfulness and forward obedience. And so. Yeah, Ruth is really good. It's really good to uh, after reading it again um, this past week and thinking about her situation, just the stuff that she went through and the the things that Naomi went through yeah. in particular. Like, I, it's interesting that we, you know, like we don't really focus very much on Naomi, but like, like she's kind of a linchpin in this whole story yeah. too. You know, yeah. just thinking about. She's lost her sons, you know, she's lost walked through husband. famine, she's relocated, she lost her husband, yeah. you know, um, and so it just really was kind, so kind of Ruth to yeah. stick around in those situations and yeah. in that situation, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, um, actually, one of the questions we have talks about uh, those, those types of struggles. Are you yeah. ready? Yeah. I think so, you can handle it. So today <laughs> we've got what, we've got one question in from the sermon. Yes. And then we've got a handful of questions in for the Ask Kyle and Danielle Anything. Yeah, we're going to call that the How Do You Parent segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because so it's a lot about that. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's take the, the question from the, uh, from the sermon here first. 
Okay, so the first question, or the question from the sermon is, how do we see God in struggles or help others to see God's plans when they are not what they think they need? Mm. How do we see God in struggles? Because with Naomi and Ruth, you know, there's this concept that, like, their struggles were what kind of propelled them towards becoming part of the lineage of Christ. Yeah. And so we can see God's providence in their struggles, but how do we see that in our own lives? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think as I'm processing this question here for the first time, and as I think about it, one of the things that I think when we read the text, we have to always be looking for markers of time, right? So I think I think one of the things that hits, I mean, this is just me confessing my heart in this moment, right, in, answering, in trying to answer this question there's so often in my own heart that I desire the answers right away. I desire clarity right away. And I think and anything, any season, any moment that I languish or linger in unclarity, confusion, you know, where I'm going, God, what are you doing? Like if there's any season that I'm, you know, lingering or, or just even like languishing, right? It, it's a hard moment in them in the middle of that for more than like five minutes or more than a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I start to get really impatient with God. And yet the text tells us that Naomi lived in Moab for 10 years. There's a lot that the text doesn't tell us about those 10 years. It doesn't tell us how old the boys were when they moved there. We are told that once Elimelech dies, the boys take Moabite wives, and we do know that they don't have any children to those wives, so the marriages couldn't have been all that long before they get sick and die, yeah. um, or whatever caused their death. We don't even know what caused their death necessarily. Right? So there, there's a whole bunch of things the text, the text doesn't tell us, but it gives us some markers there that uh, Naomi is there for at least 10 years. And the boys were married for uh, some amount of time, but likely not long enough to produce children, right? So new marriages, you know, likely. And, and, and yet the text doesn't tell us anything about Naomi's, what she was feeling in the land of Moab. But it does tell us that she changed her name from Naomi when she gets back to Bethlehem and the women of the town see her and they come out and they go, oh, isn't this Naomi? Isn't this Naomi? And she says, don't, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And Mara is a Hebrew word that means bitter. And so, so she's, she's reflecting that, that the time that she's been in Moab has been unbelievably hard, unbelievably difficult. And so, um, even, even when she tells, uh, Ruth and Orpah, you know, may God be kind to you as you have been kind to me and to the dead in chapter one. Um, even as she says that, the text doesn't tell us that she knows how God, that she has any idea how God is going to redeem her, right? right. She's just going back to the place where she knows people. At least she's not a foreigner in Bethlehem. She's kind of licking her wounds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the the scripture, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it says, why call me? Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The yeah. Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Another, uh, the verse before it, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she, 
doesn't, I'm not sure she sees God in her struggles, except that maybe he did this to her, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's, and what's hard in the Hebrew here in the, in the original Hebrew is does Naomi see this as God afflicting her or does Naomi see this as a, a natural evil, right? God is, God is in control over all of creation. And while we, while we exist in that creation, there are things that happen that are outside of our control. Does she see it as something that is outside of our control, but God is in control of all of human history and, or, or does she see this as, as a, as a, a just punishment mm-hmm. uh, for their, what could be, we call their sin of leaving Bethlehem, right? They went to Moab, they, their sons took uh, Moabite wives. You know, there, there are things that were done there that were against the prescriptions of God in the Old Testament, uh, specifically intermarriage. But in the Hebrew, we don't quite know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. so what we see here with with uh, with Naomi, I think is actually very reflective of our own selves, that when we are in those situations, we're we're a hot jumbled mess of all kinds of... <laughs> All kinds of things. Emotions oh. and feelings. and Yep. Um, I actually really think when I look at her, even just reading that, this question is asking, how do we see God in our struggles? And there's almost yeah. this question of an underlying question yeah. that's asking, well, how do I walk well through struggles? And yeah. how do I do this without? I think we think that we have to not feel things yeah. when bad things happen. Yeah. Like that we, we're not supposed to cry when something bad happens. We're not supposed yes. to be angry. We're not, but yeah, but we're, God it's like has, we're supposed to have a, uh, like a smile on our face all the time. Right. Like yeah. we're supposed to just walk through hardships. Like, I know we talk about joy a lot. And so like, but the picture I get when people say walk through your hardships with joy is like, oh, this doesn't actually bother me because I know God is sovereign. No, yeah. like you can have that belief. And yeah. still have the emotions that come along with things like your husband dying or your children dying or, you know, like. Naomi is deeply afflicted. Yes. Naomi is 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 deeply hurting mm-hmm. because of what has gone on, right? It's, it's, it is actually reflective in the Hebrew construction in the same way that Job was hurting, that Job was affected, right? So yeah, so it's not that we just have to uh, put a smile on our face. And that's, I guess that's why I'm beginning to answer this question in this way of like, look at the markers of time in the story. And there's, there's no marker here that shows us that Naomi knew how God was going to take care of them or that God would take care of them. It's just that she, she moves forward, trusting God because of what she's seen in God before, mm-hmm. right? And so I think I think when we sit with someone in their struggles, we want to, here's, let me just say we, I, let me answer this question from Kyle's <laughs> perspective, right? I'm a fixer. We, we talk about that in our marriage a lot, you know, where you're like, just listen to me. And I'm like, just follow my advice, you know? <laughs> Sometimes your advice is good. <laughs> but like, so I'm a fixer. I sit with I sit with somebody in their struggle and I want to make them feel better. I want to give them a solution, Sometimes in our struggle and sometimes in our pain, there's just no immediate solution, Mm-mm. right? And so what Na- what we see in Naomi in this passage is that she is convinced of who God is because of whom God has been. She doesn't know how God's going to work it out. She trusts that God will. 
you know, and, and, and even, and even as the story goes on, she has to push Ruth to go and be around Boaz. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, again, we, we, some, where would, where would Ruth be if it wasn't for Naomi? Like there, it takes both of them in this scenario, right. you know, yeah. and it takes Boaz to respond to all of that and to lead into that. And so, so yeah, so I, I think, you know, when we sit with someone, we go, okay, how do you help them, you know, understand or to see God in their struggles? I don't know if it's to see God in the struggle that we're in now, but is to, is to, is to look back and see God, who, whom God has been, mm-hmm. right? How has God acted? How has he provided in past scenarios and in past moments and those kind of things? Because, because if we can see who he's been, then we, we get an understanding or a confidence that's built in us for, for who he will be. Right. right? Yeah. Even though we might not know how he's going to lead us through this scenario, we know that he'll be with us. Right. And so I mean, that's what I see. That's what I see here in Naomi. And I just have to confess my own impatience in that scenario, mm-hmm. because so often I'm like, Hey, five minutes later, God, why aren't you giving me the answer. Why aren't you showing me how this is all going to work out? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? And um, yeah, the yeah. thing that maybe drives me the most crazy about <laughs> this passage is that while we can see that Obed becomes the father of Jesse and yes. Jesse becomes the father of David and eventually David is the great great grandfather of Jesus. Yeah. Ruth didn't. Ruth like, had no idea. No clue. Like no clue. Not until like I mean, maybe when she got up to heaven, God was like, Hey, just by the way, this is what's gonna happen. You know, like wa- yeah. wanna watch it? Wanna watch it with me? You know, yeah. like but yeah. but she didn't know in her lifetime. No. And she she couldn't see that. And when you were talking about looking back, I think it's what you always talk about when it comes to there's no such thing as blind faith. Yeah. You know, um, that when we walk with God long enough, we can look back and we can see how he has been faithful in different situations in our life. Yeah. That's how you see God in your struggles. Yeah. It's not by necessarily uh, understanding what he's going to bring about through all this. I mean, you could take guesses and yeah. you can thank the Lord for the good things that are going on in your life. There yeah. has to be something to be thankful for, right? Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's looking back and saying, oh, like God did that during that struggle. And so he was faithful then and he'll be faithful now and he'll bring me through this. Yeah. He will bring me through this hard thing. Mm -hmm. So then on the other side, you know, how can we help other people that are going through really hard things to see the Lord through their struggles. And this is a hard one because, yeah, you know, like it is, you don't want to come out and be like, the Lord works all things for good. And his purpose is when someone's <laughs> suffering, you know, like that verse is true. Romans eight it is, is true. true. <laughs> it's, it's probably one of the most true verses that's often quoted at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, and I think it, that's be painful uh, to hear whenever you're hurting. Yeah. And, and often I think how it comes off unintentionally, is just sort of like buck up and be happy, you know, yeah. buck up and be happy. It's going to be okay. God's in control. Cause I'm uncomfortable with your feelings. Yes. I think that's right. really what it comes down to is I'm uncomfortable with your hurt. So I'm yeah. just going to throw this Bible verse at yeah. you. Or I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> and if maybe if I'm not uncomfortable, right. Um, and it's, I just don't, 
I don't know what to do. Oh, or I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I could just be uncomfortable, um, you know, or, or it could be in our, in our relationship where, you know, where I've gone into brilliant mode and I just, I, I'm not a verbal processor, you know, and you need a verbal process. And I'm just like, Hey, just be better. Okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. Yeah. Stop being sad, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So I'm not I, sad anymore. I'm angry. <laughs> now I'm angry at you. <laughs> Good. That's a that's an emotion I understand. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I think, yeah, right, is how do we help other people? I think part of it is I mean, just sort of what we're joking about here, but is the reality is that, you know, trying to discern what that person needs. Do they just need a listening ear? Yeah. Right? Do they just need do they need a verbal process? And they just need a listening ear. They don't need a theological lesson. They just need a listening ear. And sometimes right? they don't even need that. And like some, sometimes yeah. they just need space. Sometimes it's just that. To right? be left, you know, like. Yeah. Just, I mean, just to say, I'm here for you. Yeah. But I'm not going to force myself on yeah. you unless, like, I see that you're in danger, you yeah. know, and I need to step in. But, yeah. And understanding what is your role in um in their lives like yeah. are you a close friend or relative yep. that you've been a part of their life before this suffering happened yeah. or is it like you know about their suffering and you feel like you have to do something about it because they're suffering yeah but you don't have that relational credibility with a person yeah. there you have to kind of weigh that to know yeah whether you should even say anything at all you yeah. know except i'm so sorry yeah you know yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in that, right. So, so understanding our relational proximity to that person, understanding our relational voice into their lives. Um, if, if you're in the position to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Let's just, I know this is really hard right now. I know that we can't see, you can't see the future here. None of us can see the future, right? Sympathizing with them in their hurt, acknowledging their feelings, acknowledging what they're going through, reminding them then of what God has done in their past. And I think, you know what, and if you're not in a position that you go, you know, I don't really know what God has done in their past or how they, like, they're just not in a place to process that. Just share gently about how God has worked in your life, you know, and go, hey, this is what I've seen God do in my life. I know it's not exactly the same as what you're going through. Frankly, probably what you're going through has been harder than what I've gone through, right? I think sometimes we have to acknowledge even that, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, but just going, you know what, I've seen God, I've seen God work and I know that he, I know that he'll work and we just have to. We, we have to keep our eyes on him and, um, you know, and, and follow him faithfully, right? Because what we'll see next week in Bathsheba's story and with David and Bathsheba is that like more sin doesn't make our past sin better. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and that's hard. And those are, those are hard things to say to somebody when they're in the middle of significant hurt or suffering because what we want is we want relief from that hurt. We want relief from that pain. We only have one of two. We have two options. One, to turn to Jesus or to turn to sin. That's it. Those are the only two options we have, right? Yeah. And so sin doesn't make, doesn't give us relief from our pain. It only compounds pain. And Jesus gives us relief from our pain, yet and often, often not in a way that is like, okay, it's immediately gone and we don't feel it anymore, right? Yeah. And so there is that we have to, he walks with us through it often then by sending other people into our lives and things like that. So, so yeah. So how, how do we see God in our struggles? I think one, we just, we have to look at how God has worked in our lives. Mm -hmm. 
we have to realize that we're limited in vision. We're limited in, in, in ability to see the future and to see all things. So there are some things we're just not going to be, we're not going to see. And how do we help others in that moment? Recognizing what is our relational voice in their life, sympathizing with them, caring for them, pointing them back to what God has done, both in their lives and in your life. And more than anything, I think a hug just goes a long way. Yeah. You know, so often a hug just goes a long way just to say, hey, I, you know what? I hear you and I'm, you're hurting and I'm hurting with you and for you. And I don't have any easy answers for you. Yeah. You know, sympathy, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. letting them cry on your shoulder, weeping along with them. Yeah. Um, not like disingenuinely, but you know, if it, when you really feel somebody else's pain, you know, yeah. that to let them know that like. I, this is awful. I hate that you're going through this. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes um, from Lisa Turkers, which I don't read a lot of her books, but um, somewhere along the way I came across this quote, and it's always stuck with me, which is my job is obedience and God's job is results. Yeah. I yeah. like to think that my job is results because <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. am result-oriented. You're a fixer, but I'm result-oriented, yeah. which is similar, I think, but, um, I think that whenever it comes to our struggles, what we see with Ruth again is that her, she was obedient, you know, and Boaz was obedient. And as we are obedient to what the Lord calls us to in those small things, you know, showing up and spending time with the Lord and listening to what he tells us to do, that those are things, um, and 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 not turning to sin yeah. for our comfort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that um that he produces the results that we would want to see in our lives and he can he produces results that are even better than what we yeah. could ever yeah. come up with. Yep. Amen but, to that. But so our job is the obedience and his job is the results. Yeah. Yeah. And even in this story here in this in the book of Ruth, right, that while it ends well and we love that it ends well, there's a whole lot of uncomfortable tension all throughout it, right? And so even as we even as we lean into this space of walking through hard things, God doesn't even pull punches here in the book of Ruth where it ends well. There's just a lot of uncomfortable tension mm-hmm. all throughout it and people going, we don't know how this is going to work out. We're just going to keep walking with God forward, right? And his job, his job are, are, it's the results. Yep. So good. Well, how about we uh, take some questions uh, from the... Kyle and Danielle, ask me anything section. This is good because I feel like we just talked about some hard stuff and suffering and struggles. And now we're kind of, we're going to pivot here and um, we're going to do some questions that are a little more fun. (laughs) Um, Not that the the last question wasn't fun, but just like a topic that's more um, fun and engaging, like Christmas. Here we go. All right. <laughs> We're going to talk it. about Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas. All right. How do you engage in Christmas in a fun way without focusing on an elf on a shelf <laughs> or Santa Claus? And what resources or activities do you use? So, Kyle, what resources or activities do you use to make <laughs> Christmas fun at our house? <laughs> Come, children, let's sit and read the original Greek. (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Um, All right, so full confession here, full transparency. Uh, Danielle and I have never made Santa a big deal, and that's um, not because we 
it's not a, it's not a cultural indictment or anything like that. It is just, we've never really made Santa a big deal. We always, my, my joke was always that, uh, Santa brings socks and underwear and, uh, mom and dad bring the real presents. The toys. The toys. I don't want Santa getting credit for the fun stuff. He can bring socks and underwear. So, so Santa wasn't just a selfish motive. It really is just a selfish motive. So Santa, frankly, I mean, Santa wasn't a big deal in the family that I grew up in. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, we had Santa and stuff like that. Um, but I, the, the vast majority of my childhood was spent knowing that Santa wasn't real. Right. And so, um, yeah, so we so for Danielle and I, um, now you're now on I'm, your side. I was gonna say I'm, <laughs> on your that's side. That's not the case. That's on my not side the of side the on your case. Your dad loved Santa. Um, yeah, my my dad and my dad's side loved. I mean, Santa's Santa San- was everywhere. Santa galore in my dad's house, and um, and he still loves Santa, and that's mm-hmm. totally fine. And how we would go to Christmas Eve, um, at my grandmother's house, and we'd have a delicious dinner and. Um, and then we, we would go to mass, um, at a Catholic church. Uh-huh. Um, and when we Christmas would return, my dear uncle Reg would, <laughs> he would come, um, he would leave the house, he would sneak out and he would come back dressed as Santa Claus to hand out presents. And so, yeah. yes, we, we were Santa Claus friendly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now my mom was on the up, uh, other hand, like she was very transparent about it and was like, "No, Santa Claus is Santa's not real. Not real." Oh gosh, we should have said if your kids are listening. <laughs> I don't think any child is going to be listening to this podcast. Well, like if they're driving in the car or something, you know, like oh man, you need to put in there in advance. <laughs> Can you plop that in there? Can you edit uh, it? Oh, I'll, I'll do something there. Yeah, plug your children's ears. Yeah, we plug, don't want to be pl- the ones that tell ch- them. About when did you learn? Well, my pastor told me on a podcast as we were driving down the road. <laughs> and now you can pause the podcast while you explain to your children that Santa's not oh. real. <laughs> so for us, for Danielle and I, we have not made Santa a big deal, right? And so we've respected family that uh, for, for them, Santa has been a big deal. Um, but for us, we've always we've always tried to make sure that that are for as a family we are focused on Jesus and really the the real the real story of Christmas is that uh, is Jesus's birth you know and so um we won't get into all the historical realities of it that Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th and right, you and know, that manger scene isn't really <laughs> the, accurate the uh <laughs> the wise men the wise men would have come a few years later so um that's why Herod we'll see Herod when Herod uh murders all the baby boys. He has them all put to death. It's, uh, it is for two years and younger. Um, and so we see, so, so anyway, we're not diving into all that stuff right now and we don't dive into that stuff with our kids, but, um, but things that I know that we, what we will do is that, so you have, you wrap up books and for most of the month of December, you know, we'll go out and we've bought, Danielle will buy some new children's books or wrap up, uh, other children's, you know, old children's books. Yeah. You know, and a lot of them are focused on 
the the real meaning of Christmas, the the focusing on God's love for us, focusing on God sending His Son Jesus for us, and so every every night or um, you know every couple of nights, every yeah. couple of nights because we are not perfect parents. Yeah. <laughs> I think what last night everybody got to open up a book because we were yeah. a few days behind. And I think I read like four books. You're supposed to read one a day, but yeah. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what we, so we'll, what we'll do there is, uh, Danielle, each night one kid gets to, if in a perfect world for the month of December, each kid gets to open up a new, is it the whole month of December? Well, it's until Christmas. Until so Christmas. 25, 24 days. 24 days. Okay. I think I wrap, I think I have 25 books. Okay. I think the last book never gets opened yeah. because it's Christmas. And you you're know? not going out there buying new books all no. the, every year. It's wrapping up maybe some old books that we have. You might, you might add a few new yeah. books or, uh, and this is only year two of yeah. doing that. So I think this year I replaced a couple of books that we really hated last year. Yeah. And then I, yeah. Yeah. So, but each in a perfect world, uh, if our family followed it exactly, <laughs> uh, each night in December, one kid gets to open up a new book and, or unwrap a book. And then Danielle reads it to them or I read it to them. And, and those books are really focused and focused on the real meaning for Christmas. So mm-hmm. that's something that we do that's special, that helps our kids to dial in. We've used advent calendars in the past and not just the ones that have the little chocolates in them, but, but we have those. Uh, we have those. Um, also don't get opened on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we found advent calendars that have little booklets in them. Mm-hmm. And, and so they tell the Christmas story each day as it unfolds. And the little booklets, we got one one year. Where, ornaments. Where the little booklets, yeah, were ornaments. And they turned into ornaments. You hang them on the tree. And so... So we've used advent calendars. We've done the the, the special book unwrapping thing. Um, we don't do Elf on a Shelf. We've never done Elf on a Shelf. I frankly don't even know really what Elf on a Shelf Okay, the is. only reason why I don't do Elf on a Shelf is because it's so much work. And I'm... Like I'm struggling to get a, a book opened every night and read it. So I don't, I just, the elf would probably end up staying in the same place. <laughs> you know, that this is what they take the elf and then they move it to different places in the house. Interesting. And then like the elf is kind of mischievous, I think is oh. my understanding. And so like, it might be like, elf. I don't know, taking off Christmas ornaments off the tree that feels or like, like our eating son. cookies. Our or son is the mischievous Sometimes elf. the elf brings like little <laughs> presents, I think, you know, okay. like for the kids to Interesting. discover. Interesting. So it's up to the kids to like huh. find where the elf huh. is and what he's up to today. Huh. Yeah. That takes a lot of creativity. And yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah. I... I think maybe in years past I've considered it, but I've never done it because it's just, it feels like too yeah. much work. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that we've yeah. done, and again, we I just offering this is like, we are not the, we're not perfect in any way, shape or form here. A lot of this is just inconsistently consistent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, we've used at an advent wreath with the candles. And oh, so yeah. um, we've got a pewter one at home and, and so we'll talk about the different themes. Each mm-hmm. each week is a different theme for Advent, and that is it's hope, love, peace, joy, and then the the Christ candle, the Messiah. That and and so that's obviously Christmas Eve, um, and that's actually where we get the whole uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service. Is that yeah. this coming of the true light into the world, the Messiah, the Christ candle? Um, often I grew up Presbyterian, and so that Christ candle was lit at the Christmas Eve service. And, and then all of the other candles in the church were lit off of the Christ candle. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is this light of Jesus that is filling 
his people, right, through their proclamation of faith in him. So it's a really, it's a beautiful theological picture there of the Christ candle then filling, illuminating our hearts and our lives um, there. But we have an Advent wreath at home, a little pewter one that sits on our dining room table. And even if it doesn't get lit each week, um, it, it's, a, it's a good piece that sits on the table that helps us to both be reminded of what's going on in this season and spurs on different conversation around the table. Yeah. So, Yeah, and we're not perfect at any of those things that we kind of um, have thrown out a few things that we do. Um, I think some of the, you know, the principles that we live by, it, when it comes to Santa Claus, we said we, we do tell our kids yeah. um, the truth about it. I think a couple years ago when our kids were still little, we had this thought or this, I, I mean, I had yeah. this conversation in my own mind about like, they would ask me, is he real? And I would sit there and I would say, okay, so I'm at a crossroads here. Yeah. Do I tell my children he's real now that they're asking. I mean, before when they were yeah. really little, it didn't matter because they didn't ask. Yeah. They just believe without, you know, any, yeah. any like qualms about any it. Cri- any critical thought. Any critical thought. But now they're starting <laughs> to think about it. And, and yeah. I'm also at the same time, like teaching them the scriptures and teaching them about Jesus. And I'm telling them yeah. about like the miracles of Jesus, which can seem unreal. Yes. There are lots of things in the Bible that seem unreal. Yeah. And when they're like, is that real? And I say, yes, that is absolutely real. It, this thing, these things did happen. Like yep. the Red Sea was parted, you know, like there was, there were plagues there, you know, yeah. like yeah, Jesus did make a man walk. I kind of came to the conclusion that I struggled to say, yes, Santa Claus is real. And so is everything in scripture. Yeah. <laughs> So now I say to them, you know, Santa Claus, there's history. Like, and so we've talked about like the history of Santa Claus. We've talked about St. Nicholas and the real St. Nicholas, like the real St. Nicholas. Like there was a real person that this was extremely generous and gave gifts and cared for kids. And that these, that this character has now been built around. Yeah. And that is fun to to yeah. pretend that he exists to pretend we don't exclude him from what shows that we watch like yeah. if Santa Claus is the main theme of a movie we don't exclude that you know like yeah i will say he's fun to pretend that he's real but he's not real like this character as you yeah. know him is is fictional yeah and so i felt like it it was important to distinguish that yeah with definitely. my kids because definitely. if i'm teaching them the truth of scripture I want them to know that I'm credible in what yeah. I say. So, yeah. and that that's not like an indictment. If you no, continue no. to tell your kids he's real, um, there's a lot of like critical thinking that has to go into that to make that decision for your own family. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what, yeah, we're, we're here to offer grace and just to offer our experience in this ar- arena, right? What where we've decided to major on are the things that that we want our kids to be absolutely firm on, right? Mm-hmm. And that is that Jesus's birth has historic real evidence, right? Uh, that God loves us, that he sent his son, that that's what Christmas is all about. Um, we've actually, we've actually applied it even to our logic of what, how many gifts we give each other, right? So 
as much as we love our kids and Danielle, one of Danielle's primary love expressions of, of love, love languages, um, is that of giving gifts. And we always joke about the, uh, staying on budget on birthdays and, uh, and for Christmas I, presents. Uh, my love language of giving gifts and minimalism, Do not go my together. values of minimalism are constantly <laughs> at war with each other. So, I mean, so part of it is just even like, okay, how do we even approach the gift giving? We love our kids, you know, and we want to, we, we, we enjoy giving them good gifts. Scripture talks about that, that our father in heaven gives good gifts, right? He delights in giving us good gifts. So we reflect that with our father in heaven when we give our kids good gifts and we delight in them receiving good gifts. But at the same time, if we don't want to make Christmas all about the presents, then we need to be, how Danielle and I have thought about it is we just need to be thoughtful about how many presents we're giving, right? And what yeah. we're doing with those presents and how we respond to those presents and and those kind of things. And yeah. so we just make sure we make sure our kids are saying thank you. We make sure our kids write thank you letters or thank you notes to people uh, who have given them gifts and those kind of things. And so, um, and again, we're not perfect at all this. We're struggling through it just like everybody else. But we want to make sure that Jesus stands front and center at Christmas. And so... That's why we've done things like an Advent wreath, the 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 Christmas book, um, you know, unwrapping thing. It, they're all focused on Jesus and um, uh, Advent uh, Advent uh, calendars uh, with not just chocolates but actual content that points back to Jesus and yeah. and then even on the day of, we've made a habit of on Christmas Day, we've made a habit of opening the Christmas story from the Bible reading it and talking about it with our kids, Yeah, you know? And even this year with Christmas being on Sunday, we've had this conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so we yeah. could watch this Christmas. We could watch church any, any time of the day we wanted to on Sunday. Yeah. But we've, we've made the decision to, we always make them eat breakfast be yes. because otherwise no one will sit down and eat breakfast yeah. after opening presents. So usually we eat breakfast and open presents on yeah. Christmas morning, and then we play all day. Yeah. It's like a big free-for-all, you know. But this year, with Christmas being on a Sunday and there being a church service, we made the decision that we would eat breakfast. Well, we're going to watch the Christmas service <laughs> on on the TV. We're going to try. And then we're going to open presents. Because you know what? After they open presents, it's like their brains are just like, play, 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 play. Play, 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 play. They're kids. You know, like kids... The, the work that God has given kids to do is to play. So, yeah. you know, like to expect them to open all their presents and then be like, just set those there while we watched daddy on TV, yeah. you know? Um, so that's, that's another way of us just trying to be intentional, like making yeah. an intentional decision. What's going to be the best way that we can still get church in on Sunday and, you know, and do the well, normal just, stuff. And not just, just get church in, but be intentional about yes. discipleship. Yeah, and I'm so, sorry. No, 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 you're good. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, but I just think, you know, that's, that is our, it's been our drive as parents. And it's what we've seen other people do well and emphasize on. It's not just that we go to church as a family, as an institution or an activity to go take in. It's that we desire to be followers of Jesus. And so we want to order the priorities of our life around that. And so that just extends to Christmas. And so, um, yeah, so this year, if you, if you're a family that you're like, man, we've never, we've never read the Christmas story on Christmas day. We've, you know what, we just wake up and it's presents. That's fine. You know what? No, no shame, no shade here thrown at you. Um, we're, we're walking through it 
with you, but with Christmas being on a Sunday, uh, what we're doing here at Christ Community is that we are actually producing a unique Christmas service that's aimed for your family. And uh, we'll go live uh, on on Christmas morning. And so I would just encourage you, you know what? Use it as an opportunity to be intentional with your kids to go over the Christmas story, mm. right? And to take some time as a family to, to talk about the Christmas story together. Yeah. And so that's why we're producing it. That's why we're releasing it. And uh, that's what that's our hope for it is that it gives families and, uh, you know, uh, folks with families and folks with their friends uh, an opportunity to be intentional to talk about Jesus yes. on Christmas Day. Yeah. And so, yeah. I think it's actually kind of kind of a neat opportunity, you know, that churches or that Christmas is on a Sunday this year, you know. Yeah, we yeah, well, and neat you know what, in the age in the moment, the digital moment that we're in, we just wanted to be intentional to say, "Hey, here's a resource you can literally take anywhere you are." Mm-hmm. No matter whose home you're in, no matter if you're on the road or not on the road, wherever you're at, just take this and use this. Good use and, of technology um, there. Trying there, trying. Well, we are closing in on the 45-minute mark. Is there uh, any last quick question? I know we just talked a lot about Christmas practices and things. I know there's a lot of questions in there. A- any any quick questions? Do you or would you allow sleepovers with oh, friends? That's not a quick question. Oh, we don't. Okay. We don't. Should I do a different? There, I don't think any of these are going to be <laughs> questions we can answer in five minutes. All right. So real quick on the sleepover. Maybe we'll come back to it in another, another episode here. Sorry. We um, could talk about birthdays if you want. <laughs> I feel like that one's harder though. <laughs> all right. So for sleepovers, we haven't done sleepovers. Part of that is like, I feel like sleepovers have gone out of vogue and out of fashion. Um, yes, because we just want to be trendy. Well, I just mean, I don't think parents are, parents are doing that as much anymore. Um, what we have done with our kids is that we've allowed them to have late overs. So where they can have some friends over to like 10 or midnight or something like that. Um, depending on who, not midnight, I can't midnight. handle that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so we've allowed late overs where it's like, okay, you and a couple of your friends can watch, you know, like three movies and then, you know, uh, everybody gets to sleep in their own beds. You don't have to worry about any sort of parent, you know, family compliance issues or things like that. So we haven't done sleepovers. Um, and, but our solution has been late overs. So I feel like there's a lot of parents I know that don't do sleepovers anymore. That's what I mean. It's not, I feel like, yeah. I feel like it's really gone out of vogue in that parents yeah. are like, the risks of a sleepover, one, my kid might be, will be exposed to probably some content that I don't want them to be exposed. I mean, let's just be frank. Like I remember the sleepovers I went to yeah. as a kid and it was like, I guess I watched my first, you know, you know, Halloween movie at a sleepover and didn't sleep three nights, you know, after that. <laughs> but I wasn't going to be the, you know, the eight year old boy that was like, no, I'm too scared to watch this. You know, like, yeah, I don't want to watch Freddy Krueger, you know, as an eight year old, but you know, I was with these other dudes and they were like, we're watching Freddy Krueger and we were all scared, but we did it, you know? And, um, like, I think, I think there's just those, the, the content issues that you got to worry about. I think there's the safety, the issues. safety issues, safety issues, you know, like, um, do you, yeah, I just think there's, so I think a lot of parents have moved away from sleepovers and I, and we haven't, we haven't really even encouraged or fostered it with our kids. You know, if it's, if it's come up, our option has been, Hey, how about a late over, mm-hmm. you know, and really only with people that we know. Right with friends, friends that we know their parents. Yeah, um, it's well, not even. Yeah, it's not even just random parents. You know, we've yeah. actually done it where, like, at birthday parties, 
we'll go and we'll stay at the birthday party. You know, if it's at somebody's house that we don't know, we're like, hey, can we hang out? <laughs> you know, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's too helicopter lawnmower parent of us, but uh, but I think we well, just. Well, no, I think that there's been, you know, precedence before of yeah. not being, I mean, it's okay to be a helicopter parent. I, I, believe, I believe that deep in my soul. <laughs> it's not okay to not let your kids take thoughtful risk. Yes. And it's not okay to mow down every hurdle in your kid's way. That's true. They, they That's need true. to develop grit and determination. So um, it's, it is important to be a parent who is responsible mm-hmm. and understands that there are risks that your kid will be, your child will be put into that they are not able to manage on their own. That's not every risk, right? That's not every right. risk. But there are like some. Like you things. made it through the Halloween. I episode. made it through the Halloween you know, episode. Like, so it's it's there's things like even the content stuff. You know, like I don't know, my kids have come home from birthday parties and brought home some new words. You know, like <laughs> but you know, like yeah. that stuff is going to happen, and you just have conversations about it when it does. Yeah. But. but we just need to be. We've always taken the approach as like, okay, we want to be thoughtful about it with our kids, mm-hmm. and make sure that. That, that they are set up for success in, a, in as much as in as many arenas as possible, yeah. knowing that we can't protect them from everything and knowing that they need to walk through some stuff. We want them to walk through age appropriate stuff. Yeah. Right. And walk them through it with that. So, all right. So no sleepovers, but possibly late overs. That's yeah. our answer. That's, that's how we would do it. Yeah. That's how we are doing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> All right. Well, these have been great questions. And again, a great question, just dialoguing about the text here out of Ruth here today. And uh, next week, we'll be up looking at the story of Bathsheba. Oh, boy. That's going to be a good one. That is. It, it's uh, Matthew's, Matthew's wilding. He's just wilding in the text right there going, you know what's interesting? wife of Uriah. You know what's really interesting about that is that, you know, like, we're all like, Ruth becomes the great grandmother of David. And then we're going to go, like, talk about how David... Was not. Yeah, we're going to talk oh. about David's worst moment in his life. Yeah. <laughs> Just go figure that God would pull the curtain back on that one. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. We'll, we'll see you next week for uh, service and then beyond the ser- on the Beyond the Sermon podcast.